So good morning, church family, again. Um, it is uh, just a blessing and an honor to be here with you this morning. Um, being able to travel with Pastor Josh and get here has been amazing, and to see your country and uh, the work that the Lord has done here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, uh, it's just wonderful to, to see with my own eyes, and, and I've heard about it for so many years, heard about your incredible worship team, and I've seen you guys on live stream a lot, so it's nice to be here and uh, be able to take some time in God's Word. Um, I did want to share with you, I have a, Josh told you a little bit about my background. I have been married for 14 years to my wife, Brianna. Uh, I've got three children. In fact, we have a picture for you. And the reason I show you this picture is because statistics say that you'll listen to me better if I show you this picture. Uh, no, but seriously, though, that is my wife, Brianna. And if you'll notice, she looks a lot like Pastor Josh's wife, Kelsey. That's because they're sisters. Uh, so Josh and I are brother-in-laws. Um, and that's my youngest son, Chase. He's six years old. Marley is in the middle. She's 10 years old. And then at the top, that's my 13-year-old daughter. Uh, so Josh said we look young, but I do have a 13-year-old daughter. Uh, which some people will say, man, you're like 15, so how is that possible? But uh, let's, we're going to jump into God's Word because we've got a very limited time here this morning. If you have a Bible, you could join me uh, in Genesis 46. We're going to pick up in verse 29. We're just going to read two verses this morning and make that our study. So Lord, as we turn our hearts and attention to your Word, I pray that you'd be blessed this morning as we certainly always are when we come to your word. Ask your Holy Spirit to teach us now as we give attention to your word. And I thank you for everyone in this room that's made the sacrifice to be here and uh, to commit this time to you. So we do that now, Lord. We give this time to you. We ask you to bless it, move in it, and speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like to uh, read these two verses that will be our study this morning. It says in uh, Genesis 46, verse 29, Joseph made ready his chariot. He went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel, and he presented himself to him. And he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face, because you're still alive. Now I realize we're jumping in the middle of a, a long story. Um, so... With that, I'll just say a little bit of the background, in case you're not aware of it, is uh, this father and son, Joseph uh, and his father, um, Jacob, have been separated for 20 years, and this father believed that this son had been dead for 20 years, and they just reunited for the first time. So that's what we're going to make our study this morning. But with that being said, I'd like to read to you an old article from the Jerusalem Post. The Jerusalem Post wrote this article several decades ago even, but it goes like this. I know a man who grew up in South Africa, having been rescued as a child by Christians during the Holocaust. He lived in Johannesburg and he turned religious under the Chabad influence. And eventually he became a rabbi. Once he found himself on a plane next to an older gentleman to whom he felt particularly drawn. They spoke in Yiddish and they talked about Israel and about politics and the Jewish world. And when breakfast was served, the older man ate the regular meal, sausage, eggs, milk, juice. 
while the rabbi ate his specially provided kosher meal. The rabbi gently suggested that perhaps the elderly man could do without the sausages. And the rabbi was told in no uncertain terms that since he had lost his only child in Auschwitz, the old man ate whatever he liked. So they parted ways, but the rabbi could not get the elderly gentleman out of his mind. And he was deeply disappointed that he had not asked for a telephone number. Well, two years later, on a visit to the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, the rabbi saw a familiar figure near the entrance of the building. Rushing over, he said in Yiddish, Do you recognize me? Do you remember our plane trip? And the man smiled and nodded and said, Yes, and I still eat sausages. The rabbi wanted to see the exhibits and asked if the old man would join him. The old man said, I never go in. Didn't I tell you I lost my only son in Auschwitz? Something suddenly clicked in the rabbi's brain. What was your name before the war? And when the man answered, the rabbi leaned over and whispered with tears running down his cheeks, Tati, which means dad, all that I was given by the people that adopted me was your name. I am your son. Now they both live together in Israel. The father no longer eats sausages. And the only thing the rabbi complains about is that whenever he enters the room, his father always stands up. So if you could imagine how many stories in our world like that, where a father has been separated from his child, his son or his daughter, and how God can bring brokenness back together and make it a whole and in a way that no one ever could. So we're going to sort of look at that story this morning between Jacob and his son Joseph. But I thought we'd go back through a little bit of this history in Israel so that we can get a good grasp on some of the uh, family history that leads up to this story. So let's go back to the patriarchs of Israel. Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and the patriarchs, you'd instantly think of Abraham, Isaac, and anyone know? Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because those, that is the, the line that we're tracing through the Old Testament. Now, of course, Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. And God promised him that he would grow his descendants into this great nation and bring the Messiah from them. So Abraham, the, the great man that God used to start the nation of Israel. Then he has his son, Isaac. Now, the thing about Isaac is... There's really nothing unique about him. In fact, there's many chapters dedicated to Abraham, many chapters dedicated to Jacob, but only one chapter dedicated to Isaac. And I think the scholar Griffith Thomas summarized Isaac's life like this, and it, it says it really quickly. He said, Isaac was the ordinary son of a great man, and he was also the ordinary father to a great son. So greatness sort of passed over Isaac. Um, and there's some reasons for that. Isaac wasn't really a great man. He uh, was more committed to traditions and his feelings than he was the promises or the word of God. That's who Isaac was in a nutshell, in a, in a summary form. I mean, for example, he wanted his older son Esau, who was born about four seconds before his other son, uh, to be the one that was the promised son because it was a traditional uh, cultural agreement that would happen. But God had specifically said, no, the younger son, Jacob, was to be the one that would receive the blessing. And, uh, you know, Isaac fought that. Isaac fought that his whole life. 
And uh, Jacob then turns and steals the blessing from his older brother. That's a whole story that goes with that. In fact, Jacob's ma- his name means heel catcher. Uh, because when his older brother was born, it said it had his he- hand around his heel. So they called him Jacob. But that also becomes synonymous with a deceiver. Someone that connives and gets their way and makes their way in life. So that'll be Jacob's life. And there's something about that I wanted to touch on briefly with you. Is Jacob is a master deceiver. But guess what? Many people in his life will deceive him. And I'm just going to tell you this this morning. It might not apply to anybody in this room. But if you are the kind of person that deceives people, I can tell you something with great confidence. You will be deceived. People will deceive you. Um, There's a lot of biblical verses that confirm that. What you reap is what you sow. Uh, The things that you put into life is what you're going to get back out of it. So many principles. Uh, So it's no surprise that a great deceiver is deceived by his father-in-law and his daughter-in-law and his children. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The people that deceived him, his own wives deceived him over and over and over again. So just be warned, whatever lifestyle you want to live, especially if it's an ungodly lifestyle, it will have massive repercussions. Um, But probably one of the worst times that he was ever deceived was by his own sons, all of them, got together because they were uh, sick of Joseph, they hated him, they wanted him gone. So one day when Joseph came to check on them, they decided that they were going to try to kill him. Well, then the older brother stood up and said, well, let's not kill him. Uh, Let's just throw him in a pit, and then when he dies, we can't say that we killed him. He just died of natural causes. But just then, a group of Egyptian slave traders are going by, and they said, well, let's just sell Joseph to these slave traders. We'll never have to deal with him again. So they take this garment that his father had given to him and torn it into pieces and, and dipped it in animal's blood. And they brought it to their father, and they said, hey, we just came upon this garment on the way home. Looks like Joseph's. Uh, Best we can tell, an animal ripped him to pieces and killed him. Now, that was a lie, but here's the thing. Jacob believed that lie for over 20 years, that his son Joseph was dead and gone. And Joseph happened to be uh, his favorite son because um, though he had several wives, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, only gave him one son at a certain point, and that was Joseph. So Joseph was very close to Jacob's heart, and it was one of the most heart-wrenching things that had happened to Jacob. Now, meanwhile, in those 20 years, Joseph is brought to Egypt and traded and sold to a man named Potiphar, a high-ranking official in Egypt. And he works for him somewhere around the vicinity of 10 years' time. And in that course of 10 years, This wife of Potiphar tempts Joseph. Now, we don't know if it's one time or a few times throughout those 10 years or through the entire season of 10 years, this woman is constantly trying to get him into a sexual relationship. We don't know. But we do know she certainly uh, tempted him uh, to do that. And Joseph was an upright man, the Bible says, and he refused. He said, how could I ever do this to my master? Uh, I won't do it. So she... uh, pretended that he tried to rape her as he ran out of the house. She grabbed his coat and he ran out of the house. And uh, because of the way things went back then, normally Joseph would have been killed, but instead Potiphar put him into prison, which tells us we believe that 
Potiphar thought Joseph was innocent. So just think about it, being Joseph. Your brothers hate you. They want to kill you. Then they decide to sell you into slavery. You get there and you do a faithful, good job for this man. And then his wife tempts you. And instead of giving into that temptation like many men would, he refused. And how does God reward him? Puts him in jail. Just to be frank, whenever I overcome temptation, I want God to give me a lollipop. Do you know what I mean? I don't want God to put me in jail. Lord, I did the right thing. And now he's in jail. And time goes by. And Pharaoh's butler and baker come into jail, and they have these crazy dreams that Joseph interprets. Well, the, as they leave from there, one of them is going to die, one is going to live. He says to the man that he told his dream to, he said, hey, make sure you tell Pharaoh what I did for you. Well, it says he left there and forgot about Joseph for two years until Pharaoh himself had a crazy dream that he couldn't interpret. It was troubled him at night. He had a dream about uh, fat cows eating skinny cows and seven heads of grain eating other heads of grain. And that's just a, you know, we all have weird dreams, right? And, you know, what does a head of grain eating another head of grain even look like, you know? That's the kind of thing that wake you up at night. So Pharaoh has these two dreams in the same night, and no one can interpret them for him. And then all of a sudden, his chief assistant says, hey, I, I just remembered the guy that got me uh, out of prison, essentially, he helped me in this journey. He told me a dream I had years ago. I think this might be your guy, which is kind of funny if you think about it from Pharaoh's perspective. Oh, I got just the guy for you. He's in jail. He's the guy that can help you, you know? So they go and get Joseph. He interprets uh, Pharaoh's dreams. And because of the way that Pharaoh, uh, Joseph conducted himself with Pharaoh, not only interpreting the dreams but displaying great humility, Pharaoh decides that he's going to be second in command. Pharaoh gives him every ounce of authority that he has, save the final authority that li lies with Pharaoh. So in a very real sense, Joseph has now become the second most powerful man in the world because of the Egyptian uh, dominance in that time. So just think of that story briefly. It's just one of the most incredible stories of the Bible as far as a narrative is, is concerned. This guy goes from being hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, put into prison, and now he is the second most powerful man in the world. It's quite a story, isn't it? Something only the Bible can come up with. Now, the thing about this is that Joseph has an opportunity when the, when the famine breaks out that he prophesied. His brothers come into town and he starts messing with them for a little while. Uh, but then it becomes known to them that Joseph is still alive and that he's the second most powerful man in the world. So he says, go get dad. They're going to move them up to the land of Goshen near Egypt. And I remind you of this story. Think of all of that in your mind. Let's read this again. It says, Joseph made ready his chariot and he went up to present himself to his father, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die because I have seen your face, because you are still alive. So you think, man, Joseph has gone from one incredible, difficult situation to another. Now he's the second most powerful man in the world. And it says he's preparing to go see his father. And this is the thing I would ask that we really focus on this morning. 
He has had this incredible journey, but at this point in his life, he is the second most powerful man in the world. And he goes to prepare himself to meet his father. This is the kind of thing that we might overlook, but he goes to prepare himself. Even though it's been 20 years and Joseph has done incredible things and he's now very powerful, he is still someone's son. He is still some man's son, is who Joseph is. And just like every one of us in this room, every person on this earth, they need a father in their life that will love them and approve of them and be a presence for them in their life, to say, I'm proud of you, son. Imagine what Jacob could have said to Joseph. How did you do this? How did you go from being sold into slavery to, to being in the position that you're in? And he could say, Dad, it was a long, hard, broken road. And how proud of a father he would have been to learn that. Now I realize that in the world that you and I live in, it is filled with broken homes. And that the ideal of a great father raising his children in a home is very far and few between these days. It's hard to find a healthy home with a father and a mother. And I'm sure many of us in this room know that well, whether we don't have a great father or mother or maybe our spouse left or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of things that we can take to heart here. But just, I want to take a few minutes, the last few minutes that we have together, and talk about the importance of a father's influence in his home. Now, first thing I'm going to say, I don't know about your television programs, but in America, we make our dads look like idiots on TV. The dad is always dumb. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know how to answer the kids. He's always kind of fumbling around. It's like he's caught up in the curtains and he doesn't even know how to get out of them. Meanwhile, mom runs around, has the answers, or better yet, the teenage friends of the children have all the answers. Meanwhile, mom and dad are idiots. Dad's the dumbest of them all. And that is so damaging because th that could not be further from the truth because it diminishes the role of a father in his home, the important role that a father has in his home. Let me give you just a, I, I'm not big on statistics, but for many reasons, I, I realize that just taking a small group of people and asking them a question does not answer everybody's or even make up the actual statistic, but I think they're helpful, you know, they're generally helpful. So I will share some with you today for what it's worth. But here's something that we've discovered in study of statistics. If a child comes to this church or any church, there is a 10% chance that mom and dad will follow that child to church and go to church with them. If mom goes to church, there is a 40% chance that the rest of the family, dad and the kids, will follow. If dad comes into this church, 85 plus percent of the time, those kids and his wife will follow him here. That's a very drastic difference because of the important role that God has placed in fatherhood. Now, I say all that to say, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I believe fatherlessness is a plague in our world today. It is a plague in our world today. It's a pandemic, if you want to call it that. Worse than COVID-19 is the fatherlessness of this world. If we could sit around this room and tell each other our stories, so many of us would have a broken home life. 
Something would be off. Something would be wrong. Maybe dad was there, but it wasn't appropriate. Maybe the man that you fell in love with has left you, and he's left you with kids. I mean, there's a lot of fatherlessness in this world. And it's wonderful. It's not wonderful, but it's, it's a reality that it's across cultural barriers, right? One in four kids in America have a fatherless situation. I was told that one million children in Kenya are orphans. One million. So a lot of dads represented there, isn't it? In those million kids. So it's a plague in our culture today. And here's the thing for a man to understand. He has to raise his children. He has to raise his children. See, we live in a world where it's easy for a man to hook up with strangers and abandon his family and go and do whatever he wants with the rest of his life, completely leaving his family behind. But here's what we need in the world today. Our fathers that say, absolutely not. No. We need fathers to say, I'm going to stand my ground and raise my family and affirm my kids. And it's not about how much money I can make, how many positions I can find, or all the places that I can go. I'm going to raise these kids. The most important thing in my life is raising these kids. But we don't live in that world where men understand that. And because of sexual perversion... People say, well, what's the problem? It's just sex. Is it really? Let me just shoot you with a gun and just say, it's just a bullet. I just shot you. So what? No, it's a powerful thing. And one of those things is when people have sex outside of marriage, there's a good chance that they'll have children. And they do. All over the world. All the time. And and I want to say something. If that's you, I don't want you to feel condemned this morning. God can forgive any sin. Any sin. I just want to point out the reality of the world that we live in. Very sad, the the way that we're breeding this disaster in our world today. Why isn't it a man's highest ambition to raise his kids? How is that not sensible to a person? How can a man say to himself, no, I just want to sleep with, I want to have sex with as many women as I can in this world. That's your great ambition in life? That's what you want to do with your life? So many men think that. How many women can I conquer? How about how many kids you can raise? And love and be there for. It's not the world we live in, though. It's easy for a man to abandon his family, leave him behind, never look back, never ask any questions. Give you some more statistics 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. I took this one off the list, but in light of what Pastor Josh said a little bit ago, I'll share it again. 80, I'll share it anyways. 80% of violent rapists are fatherless. 80% of the men that are out there raping, they are fatherless. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. We could go on and on and on. Crime in the life of a fatherless kid is very likely, very likely. That's one of those things we have to say to ourselves, that's how important the role of a father is in his kids' lives. I have sat with many men in my journey as a pastor, and being a pastor isn't just about standing in front of a church and teaching Bible studies. It's sitting down with people in their absolute brokenness. 
sitting down with fathers to say, you know, I'm just going to leave my family because I'm no good for anybody. And you know, the fact is, uh, they're better off without me. I'm just going to go live my life and I'm just going to hurt myself. I don't want to hurt anybody else. That couldn't be further from the truth, could it? When a man sins, Joe Foch once said, when a man sins, he never sins unto himself. That means whatever sin that you commit, secret or public, whatever it is, it is never just to you alone. It affects everyone in your life. The ministries that Pastor Josh and I have been associated with for years, the drug addiction ministry, is so riddled with all of this, the stuff that we talk about. Fatherlessness and the brokenness. But so many of those men think, oh, well, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm just hurting myself. No, no you're not. Because in those addiction groups that I'm talking about, it's never just the son or daughter, it's the whole family that's affected. And that's one thing we've seen over and over again. You get a man or a woman coming out of a drug-addicted lifestyle, and their whole family has been carefully watching and concerned for years, whether they're Christian or not. And so it becomes more of a ministry to the whole family than just one or two individuals. Now, with that being said, and because of time, I would never want to leave us here with this information. I want to share a few last things that I'm thankful for in light of that. I'm sure you are too. I'm thankful to God for church family. That's what I'm thankful for. Because in all the brokenness in this world today, we can come to a place like this and we have a church family. That means when little boys and girls come into this church, maybe their dad's gone doing something else or passed away or something's happened, that there are men in this church that would take responsibility for those kids. They would help fill that hole in that little kid's heart. That's why I'm so thankful for the church family. That's why I'm so thankful for GCM, Great Commission Ministries. What do we want to do with that land? We want to build houses for orphaned children. And we want to teach them about God, their father who loves them. While men are there teaching. And listen, I don't know um, what your circumstances are here, but in America, uh, it's been true for many, many years in the church that the majority of the people that teach our kids in, in churches are women. And I don't have anything wrong with that. It's just a sad indictment on men. Where are the men teaching the kids? I'm kind of past all that. I'm not really interested. It's not really my thing. Really? You don't have a broken heart for these kids? You don't see the place that they're in, that they need a male instructor in their life because then they go to church and they see a lot of ladies that love them because that's what ladies do. But I think it's a wonderful thing when a man takes upon himself the responsibility of someone else's children. With that being said, maybe you're in this room today and you are a good dad. Maybe you are a good dad. And I, wanna, I just personally want to commend you and tell you I'm thankful for you. The world needs you. But if we are good dads in this room, if we are good men, if we are good fathers in this room, if that's who we are, it's not good enough for us to just do that for our homes anymore. We have to do that for others as well. You ever think about that? So many people just want to make their home life something that's worthwhile and doing well. It's great ambition. But in the world that we live in, with the need that's all around us and the Bible that's been given to us, there's something that tells us we have to invest more in just our own family as good dads and good men and good husbands and good ladies. We have so much more we have to give than just our own family needs. Now with that also being said, I will say this as we finish this morning. 
The greatest father is in heaven. God, the father. So I don't know, when I talk about this today, what goes on in your heart. Maybe there's a lot of pain and sadness and hurt. I don't know if you've come to that place yet in your life where you realize that God is your heavenly father. And that even though your physical father was never there for you, maybe, you have your heavenly father who was. And just like Joseph needed to hear from his dad, good job, son, I'm proud of you. You may never hear that from your earthly father or another earthly man, but you can guarantee you'll hear it from your father in heaven. If you walk according to his ways and you're obedient to him, he's such a good father. Such a good father. So, with that, I guess we're going to have Pastor Josh come up and conclude our service and, and the worship team. Uh, but let's take a moment and pray. Lord, I thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word together, to think about these things, to consider these things in the great need in the world today. I pray if there's anything that I, I didn't say that someone wished I would have said or they were longing for in their heart, you would meet that need for them. You would come alongside them. You would pour out your love on them. But I thank you for the opportunity to consider the, the weight and the responsibility of a father this morning. So we love you, Lord. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.